I've got this great story about weddings. And a few um, weeks ago, our son was married in Australia. And um, um, Marlon Williams filled the town hall um, with two and a half thousand people. I think they paid a hundred bucks each or something. Um, but in Castlemaine in Victoria, when Marlon Williams and uh, some of my family were singing out loud, they called the noise protectors. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Did mate. you get noise patrol so, called to your wedding? Noise control oh, amazing. called to Marlon Williams. Isn't that wonderful? That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, don't stop uh, singing Marlon at the top of your voice, Gary Moore. Uh, you are on the panel. By the way, could Gary's speech be put on the website or published as an opinion piece. It was by far the best summing up of the current social political situation in New Zealand. Well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can go back and listen to it, um, rnz.co.nz slash the panel, and it will be called the pre-panel. It's on our RNZ website. Or you can and I can back. send it to Sally if you like. And then okay, can do all right, with it. there you go. If you want to copy I can tell you, one thing yeah. I can tell you, though, Labour is so tribal there will be some backs that I'll be speaking to, I suspect, from now on. <laughs> really? Well, you laid oh, it yes. out. If you missed oh, yes. it, oh, just, just summing up, like um, <laughs> Gary is a tribal labourite, but after 42 years, he ripped up his card, and he tells you why um, on the pre-panel. Or you can listen to the panel back on Apple, on Spotify, iHeart, or on the RNZ App. Um, Wallace, the Wellington Ukulele Orchestra did a great cover of Africa, and in fact, that was a fantastic cover. The panel. That's a great orchestra. Absolutely, Gary, yeah. Mm, now, mm. you may be interested, you might be interested in putting away a bit of money each time for each of your kids' future, maybe to help with, say, education, a home. What about starting a small business? How do you get the best? Bang for your buck against inflation. Should you start a KiwiSaver? With us is financial journalist and advisor Francis Cook, who has some answers. Francis runs a course called Money Made Simple and is often asked, what is the best way to save for your kids? I read a very interesting article about this we thought we'd get Francis on. Kia ora, good to have you here. Kia ora, lovely to be here. This must be one of your most asked questions because it's the question that everyone with children uh, would like to know a little bit more about, I can imagine. Yeah, it is one that I constantly get in my inbox or on social media. People will say, should I have a savings account for my kids or mm. should I maybe start up a Kiwi Saver? And I think it's to begin with, it's the most beautiful thing trying to help your kids out. Yeah. We all know it's only getting harder and harder out there. But kind of both of those solutions are a little bit wrong, unfortunately. Um, a savings account is fantastic for money that you need soon. It's very safe money, but not long term, because you look at inflation, you know, right now it's running at 5.6% you would be doing really well to get a savings account that gives you 5%, so you're still actually going backwards. So it's safe money, but it gets nibbled away by inflation bugs. And meanwhile, the problem with KiwiSaver, I mean, KiwiSaver is fantastic in terms of you can put the money in a growth account, it gets invested into things like shares, but you're missing out on most of the perks of KiwiSaver that make it worth locking your money away. You don't get the $521 from the government. You don't get the employer oh. match, even if they have an a, a after-school job. Those things kick in once you're 18. 
So it's kind of not really worth agreeing to lock your money away for retirement or a first home. You're quite restricted on yeah. what you can use it for. It's interesting. I mean, it, I bet it comes up in every household. If if there is money to be squirreled away, that is, you know, if you've got a bit of extra to put away. Because the other thing, Francis, is you don't know what your child may want to, want to do. You say she or he is five or six, but... Uh, they might want to start, say, a small business when they're 22, 23, that type of thing. Oh, exactly. You get some kids now who are fantastically entrepreneurial. Some of them skip uni entirely and want to start something. Um, But it might take a couple of thousand dollars to get their idea to life. Um, Or, you know, perfectly legitimately, they might want to use part of it for a gap year and you might feel totally comfortable giving them a boost to go out and see the world. You know, whatever you want to do with that money is totally your choice. So I think for a lot of people, actually, the greatest gift you can give your kids is to educate yourself about money enough that you feel confident investing into the share market. There are such Mm. simple ways to invest into the share market. Something like an index fund is, I mean, nothing is foolproof with money, but it gets you a really good return on your money over a period of several years and you've got 18 years to let the share market go up and down to get those bigger rewards for having more time in your side, even $20 a week would be a fantastic boost for your kids' future. Gary? Well, I had uh, shares at school because I was odd. Um, and I decided that while I was at the end of schooling, um, I bought a vintage car with the shares, sold my shares, because I decided that you, the uh, racehorses were probably a greater security than the share market. But um, I, I, I think the most important thing, if I could sound like old father time for a moment, I grew up in an era where every child was encouraged to save. And... And the post office savings bank every day, every week, uh, there was there was a, a, a monitor who collected them all of the all of our individual books, and I think that that is the important thing. It doesn't really matter where the kid puts their money, though I would put them into KiwiSaver, I have to say, and that's what I've recommended to my grandchildren. But I think the important thing is that they learn the importance of saving towards something. That's the key issue. Something on that, Francis? Well, actually, you're not wrong in terms of getting the kids involved. So there is a money psychology reason for this as Mm. well, right? Mm. So if you do this with them, as the kid gets older and they are able to have these sorts of conversations with you, if you invest with them, show them what you're doing, show them how it works, and they get to see how the market goes up and down, how that's all normal, they learn by doing. Because we've all heard of that lottery effect where people can end up poorer than they started if they get a lottery win. It's actually the same for any windfall money that turns up out of nowhere. If you don't feel you've earned it, our brains do something funny and we just blow it almost every time. So if you can make them feel ownership of that money and they're putting it in with you and they know it's there, that is a fantastic gift to giving knowledge as well as money. Verity. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what you were you a saver when you were a kid, Verity? Ah, uh, yes, to an extent. Yeah. I mean, not not hugely in the sense that I mean, I had a piggy bank, um, yeah. but like I, ha- but my parents got me to invest in shares from when I was like 
you know, 13, 14, basically. Um, what's really interesting is I had this conversation with a friend of mine. Um, now, I come from, like, quite standard middle-class parents, right? You know, educated parents, very bougie, leafy suburbs, that kind of vibe. And I was talking to my mate, and um, he's, like, quite working class and, like, grew up on the docks, you know, been working since he was 14. And he was saying that, like, his parents, who were also quite working class, which had always told him, save for a rainy day, save for a rainy day, like, just, just put it away, just work hard and save. Whereas my parents always told me, like, you know, save a bit of money and then invest it and, you know, get a little share portfolio going, do sharesies for, like, you know, 10 years or whatever. And I thought it was really interesting because he was saying that he'd wished he – that there's a class element here and that if you're not born into this kind of assumption that you can make money work for you, like with sharesies, you can make it work for you, that you sort of feel like you're not allowed to um, – to be proactive with money and to, to take moves like getting a small share portfolio or to, you know, like what you're talking about, Francis, with getting proactively ahead with money. Right. So there's a sense that class plays into your attitude about how you see money. And I actually have to say, I think it's right. I think that we tell people basically different stories depending on where we think they come from about what they're entitled or allowed to do with money. Francis? So agree with that. I, you're absolutely spot on. I think one of the biggest money mentalities that I come across that can really hold people back is the idea of that's just not for me or yeah. that's not for people like me. Yeah. And so if you can, you know, as a parent, I really think kids don't often do what we say. They'll do what we do, uh, which is very frustrating as a parent. But <laughs> if you can involve them in these things and have conversations with them about money, if you can listen to a couple of personal finance books um, on audiobook or whatever works mm. for you, and you take that moment to feel comfortable with it yourself so that you can then have those conversations, involve them in those money decisions you're making, putting $20 a week for them into a savings account or an investing account, whatever you are comfortable with. I obviously think investing is the best way to get bang for your buck. But putting that aside is actually going to be less important than whatever you can gift them in terms of the mentality of that's for you too. You can do that. And that's absolutely for people like us. Interesting sentiment. By the way, here's a little one for you, Francis. Francis is a rock star. I follow her on TikTok. So much great advice. That's Mark. I do too. So, um, <laughs> Uh, Thanks, Mark. Thanks, team. Good on you, Francis. Thanks uh, for joining us. That's um, uh, Francis Cook there. Wallace. One of, the thing, one of the things that's really important is that money shouldn't be a straitjacket. And too, for too many people, that's what it is. It's a tool. It's a tool for us to either buy something or go somewhere or do something. And I find mm. I find too many people the money becomes the straitjacket that holds well, them. Here's a good one. Uh, it's your favourite hire a hubby, Richard. Here, when we were expecting my wife and I started out at ten dollars each into savings account for our daughter, we also put the new family's tax credit into it. Mm. Our daughter now has over ten thousand dollars and climbing for her future. We had it in an interest bearing account initially, but once it got bigger, it was added to our offset mortgage. So she is helping us save money while we're bringing her up. Uh, says Richard. How about that? The panel uh, and. And uh, tangentially related, I guess, uh, into uh, um, money again, I guess. New Zealanders will soon get more regular insight into the cost of living. Stats NZ announced it will release monthly price change data for alcoholic beverages, tobacco, petrol, diesel, domestic and international airfares. To tell us what this means, we have Jason Atwell, the General Manager of Economic and Environment Insights. Uh, Kia ora, Jason. 
Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks so, for having me on your show. Pleasure you've got this extra data coming in. Uh, alcoholic beverages, tobacco, for example. What yep. will this extra data mean? Well, what it rep- well, so firstly, we've already been producing monthly data on food prices for a long time now. and We've also had a, a monthly rent price index. So this additional data just gets us closer to what we call the basket of goods and services, which is measured in the consumer's price index. Oh, so gotcha. That basket of goods and services represents the things that New Zealand households spend their money on. So it gets us up to about 44% of the basket, and we'll be able to put that out on a monthly basis. More data, more granular data, mm. Barry Johnson, including your, the alcohol that you buy. Yeah, I'm fascinated. What, do you know what the average spend on alcohol a week would be? Because I added mine up once, and mine was $62. Like, I'm just what? curious. Yeah, that's my average alcohol spend per week. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I know, yeah. And I was just curious, do you know what the national average actually is? Uh, well, we do We do collect data on spending from New Zealand households, and I don't have it exactly on me right now. Um, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Um, and it's also subject to surveys, and, and some of those surveys, you know, when we're asking people about their household expenditure, some of those items we need to adjust for because people don't always tell us the yep. truth on some of those types of expenditure. Gary? Well, one of the most important things for me are, are trends. So what is the trend in something that, you know, like are people spending more on, like, accommodation than they are on clothing, you know, just to take two for example. And those trends to me are the interesting things because those are the sort of things that should drive public policy. Yep, absolutely. Um, So we we update what we call the weights of the CPI basket roughly every three years. Um, And the reason we do that is absolutely because of what you're saying, that, that what people spend their money on changes over time. And we've got some wonderful time series that go all the way back to the early 20th century, so, you know, things come and go from the CPI basket. Um, fleetingly in the 1980s, we had weights for waterbeds, but apparently nobody buys those anymore. Really? Yeah, things like tripe we don't measure anymore, CDs have come and gone, there's all sorts of fascinating <laughs> stuff like this. The CPI is really a, a fascinating insight into the history of Aotearoa, it really is. Mm. It's really interesting. So you'll see data on petrol use, also where we are travelling, uh, Jason. That would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it is interesting. And again, these these additional series uh, were sort of, I guess you could say, the low-hanging fruit for us. We know we're, we're living in a high inflationary environment, both in Aotearoa and globally at the moment, and we have been for the last two years or so. Um, so we did get a lot of demand from customers and uh, particularly Reserve Bank and Treasury to go, you know, can we can we do stuff more often? And these are the things where, you know, like petrol, it changes mm. quite often. So we actually we actually measure that weekly. Um, so that was a nice easy one to do. And then the airfares and that as well, they jump all around the place. So these these additions to the monthly um, price indexes are really the ones that one they were easy for us to do because we were already sort of collecting them more frequently. And two, they're the things that jump around in price more frequently. There's a whole bunch of things in the CPI basket that, you know, it's not worth trying to do monthly, like rates, for example, or tuition fees, because they only change once a year. Ah, got it. Yeah, interesting stuff, Jason. Thanks for uh, joining us on that. Uh, That's Jason Atwell there from uh, StatsNZ. I didn't know that they used that waterbeds were included in uh, (laughs) the... uh, You ever been in a waterbed when it got a a hole, a puncture in it? Tell us about it, Gary. Terrible. You get seasickness at home.
Does it does it explode? Like what's yeah, the pressure no, they just like? Leak out. Oh. Did he have one? Did he have a waterbed? Mm. No, I didn't. I was mm. just I was just in one. One of the things I was thinking about about right. that fuel one is it should be driving things like public transport arguments. Like if if the percentage that's being spent on fuel all the time is going up, then like for instance we're talking about low income families often travelling long distances, you think from South Auckland into mm. all over Auckland, um, that that sort of data is really useful and it should be, yes. I hope it is being used for it's really, really planning. interesting data. Yeah, absolutely, Gary. Really good thoughts there. Um, by the way, you're all emailing me, texting me your um, alcohol consumption bill, uh, which is fascinating. I don't want to have it now because it's near the end of the show, but we may come to that tomorrow or next week because it's fascinating. Here's just one. My alcohol consumption is $10 a day, mm. uh, $3,600 a year on alcohol. Interesting stuff. But finally, on uh, the panel uh, with Verity Johnson and Gary Moore, we return to a story we got, well, let's just say quite the response. Uh, rather surprisingly, I might have had lots of texts, including this one. I'm now 80, but certainly remember an aunt using duck eggs for baking only. This aunt lived on a farm with bonus hens and ducks that were free range. I can recall climbing trees to gather eggs from trees. Really? Anyway, someone texted me and says, do you know that you have a duck producer within your midst? I said, who's that? And they said, it's Chris Reed from RNZ. Who's who's with us now? Kia ora, Chris. G'day, Wallace. Pleasure to have you on, Chris. I never knew that you were a duck producer, but this got an extraordinary response. Tell me about your ducks. Um, We've got about... 10 girls who produce eggs for us. Um, we have some hens as well, so we, we produce both chicken and hens eggs, uh, chicken and ducks eggs. And um, they are, as, as your correspondent was saying, they're, they're awesome for baking with. Um, I think the secret weapon in a duck's egg is that the protein is slightly different and you can beat more air into it and so it makes beautiful light sponges and that kind of thing for baking. (laughs) So like my meringues, my meringues would benefit from a duck egg. Wow. Absolutely. Meringues, any of that kind of thing uh, works better with a duck egg than it does with a hen's egg. And ducks, like, forgive me for being an Aucklander, but ducks lay eggs like normally, eh? like if you have a female duck, she'll lay an egg every day. That's right. But they're not all Um, fertilised. Uh, we have a couple of drakes in, in our little community. Um, <laughs> as, I, as I understand it, the protein in a fertilised duck egg is better for you than an unfertilised <laughs> one, but both are very good anyway. Really? This yeah. is amazing. Gary, <laughs> look, it was new to me that uh, duck eggs could even be eaten. What about you, Gary Moore? Oh, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. I, I'm I'm a, actually a chook egg producer. Um, we've got chooks in the back garden. Oh. And, and, um, and, oh, the panel. <laughs> Part-time farmers. Panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing was when our next-door neighbour um, sold her house, when Nairi sold the house, um, the real estate agent wrote, occasionally the neighbour supplies you with free eggs, which I thought was... <laughs> A winning line, really, but um, 
Now, I go out and I talk to my girls um, every day. I've talked to them this afternoon, and um, there's one that's not laying very often, and I stand there with an axe and go, which one of you is it? Oh, my God. And, <laughs> Gosh, Gary. <laughs> Have you But ever... I, I, I love the idea, Chris. I, I'd never thought of ducks. Can you keep ducks in a confined space? Yeah, these these ducks are b- b- behind an enclosed area. They don't have a cover over the top, so they could fly no. away if they wanted to. But um, their swimming pool is in there, and they, they are very happy in their yeah. enclosure. Have you ever eaten one? What, the, de- the, the duck? duck? Yeah. Male ducks are not particularly useful in the duck egg farming business. So one of the byproducts of, of raising ducks <laughs> is that you, you have a few male ducks that are surplus, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Nice little d- they, duck, they do, duck on They rice. do challenge you a bit. Uh, chooks, uh, we, Pam bought three new chooks for us, and she said, I wonder if we could check whether they've settled in. So I went out in the dark, and one was up a tree, one was <laughs> on top of the roof, and I had quite a difficulty finding the third one so they all got their wings clipped that night ducks have a very have a a very um relaxed kind of pecking order it all happens very quickly and then you don't have any more trouble with them fighting chickens i find are forever arguing over who's in charge i've got a stick in this question uh this is fascinating chris it could go on for a few minutes maybe past the news pips look jones says as a child i used to climb trees to get the birds eggs and then sell them Mm. to orchard owners What, what what do we mean by eggs and trees chris um, that doesn't happen at our place. Um, our ducks are inclined to lay their eggs behind some kind, any kind of um, uh, shrubbery, and the chickens lay in laying boxes. So uh, I'm not sure you, if you've got you know relatively wild chickens. I think they'll just lay wherever they want to roost. Mm. Extraordinary stuff, Chris. I really appreciate your time this afternoon on the panel. There's such I'd skills at Radio New Zealand. Yes, such skills. <laughs> such skills, yeah, exactly, Gary. That's uh, Chris Reed, actually former producer uh, of um, yes. the panel. Yeah, as you yeah. know, Gary. Um, it's Chris Reed, duckhead producer also. Um, ask Gary in what language does he talk to his chickens in, and people want to know more about the situation of you being in the waterbed, Gary. Oh, I, no, I've, I've, I've said we're not going there. That's, uh, I thought that's... we were continuing the theme for today, which was why New Zealand is the world's worst lovers. I mean, Gary, if you want no, to contribute. No, 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 no. It was a friend's place and this was a dreadful bed, so no, no, no. no, no. And it's the pips, oh. so you're yeah. safe. Oh, thank God for Cliffhanger that. ending. I'd be, I'd be classified as a bad lover or something. Quite <laughs> no, you wouldn't be, Gary. No, you wouldn't be. <laughs> Gary Moore. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Friday tomorrow I'll be back at 3.45 see you then